No matter what happens in our lives, we are called to live by faith. However, I understand it is very difficult to keep our faith active in this secular environment. But in reality, the obstacle of faith, obstacle of living faith, is not just in the physical realm. There is ongoing warfare in the spiritual realm. There is the devil and its evil forces exerting in today's world. That's why the Bible says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in these heavenly realms. Spiritual warfare is our reality. Therefore, let us not be foolish or naive or ignorant, thinking that our struggle of faith is only in the physical realm. We need to think deeper. We need to know deeper. Our enemy hides, the devil hides in the most unbelievable places in religion. He hides in intellectualism. He hides in the godless anti-God cultures. He hides in entertainment, poetry, arts, and oftentimes in music even. He hides in psychologies and human philosophies. And the enemy is looking for any opportunity to hinder our faith. And in the end, he wants to devour and destroy the church, the people of God, the body of Christ. That is our reality. That's what we are up against as we live by faith. Today, we will learn how to live by faith in spite of all these obstacles and struggles as we look into another case of encountering Jesus in this passage. And I pray that we will learn and we'll be encouraged, empowered, even challenged to live by faith in spite of all difficulties and struggles and obstacles. Amen? Amen? Are we awake? Great. Now, what is happening in this passage? Let's kind of look into this. I know it's kind of obscure passage for some crowd, especially American crowd. We are not that familiar with demon possessions, evil spirits, and exorcism and all that. But it is all true, by the way, and it is the reality of this world. There is a devil, and there is a falling angels or demons, and they are there to destroy people, people's lives. And possession does happen. But before this scene, Jesus actually had taken Peter, James, and John up on the mountain where Jesus actually transfigured to his glorious state. Right before this, he's in the mountain, in Mount Transfiguration. Meaning, we'll talk about this more, but uh, basically the Moses and Elijah came and the Peter, John, James saw on top of the mountain that Jesus transfigured in terms of his appearance to the glory of God. And when they came down, they discovered that the other disciples trying to help this poor demon-possessed boy. And the crowd had gathered as well as the teachers of the law. And an argument ensued. 
Then in verse 15, if you read, As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. They're overwhelmed with wonder. Why, you might ask? Well, just like Moses who came down from Mount Sinai with his face beholding the glory of God in the time of Exodus. You remember that? Jesus may have still had this remnant of his glorious state, glorified state about him up in the mountain of transfiguration. So it was right then what happened. So as they came down, probably caused wonder and excitement, even fear in people. Now, Jesus asked what the argument was all about. What is going on? And then teacher did his, teachers of the law didn't answer, or the disciples didn't answer. The crowd didn't answer. It was what? The boy's father that responded. Well, perhaps the teachers of the law probably didn't dare to argue with Jesus at this moment. Maybe the disciples may have kept quiet because they were probably embarrassed over their unsuccessful attempt to drive out demon. Uh, demon. So the father of the boy spoke up and explained the situation. This is what's happening, Jesus. They can't help us. They can't help my boy. But what was the argument about? We don't know exactly what was going, what is going on, but it is assumed that the teachers of the law were probably challenging or ridiculing the disciples for their failed attempt, and they probably seized this opportunity to go after them about this. And the crowd, well, just, they're just watching from the distance, uh, spectating. And we see that desperate father probably bringing the boy to Jesus, but Jesus wasn't there. He was on, the, on top of the mountain, right, meeting with Moses and Elijah. Now, he either asked probably the disciples if they could do something. Maybe the, perhaps the disciples just offered it. Hey, I will help you out. Jesus is not here yet, but we will help you. But somehow they were surprised that the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. Why? Well, later on, they asked Jesus, why couldn't we do this? Indicating that they felt they should have been able to do this. And you might say, how is it possible? Only Jesus can drive, uh, drive out the demons, but the disciples too? Well, if you look at Mark 3, chapter 3, when Jesus chose his disciples, he actually gave his disciples the authority to drive out demons. And in Mark 6, uh, chapter 6, we see that Jesus actually sending out the 12 to preach and drive out evil spirits amongst people. So it makes sense. They felt they should have been able to help this father and son. And they were successful other, in other cases as well, if you read the gospel. But now, how does Jesus respond to this? As we read how Jesus handled the situation, I think we can learn four lessons about faith. Four lessons about faith. Are we ready? First lessons we can learn is a priority of faith. Everyone say priority. In the midst of the problems and turmoils and confusions, well, Jesus clearly prioritized faith more than any problem, problem itself. Look at verse 19. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? 
Meaning, why are you so concerned about the problems? Why are you arguing about minor things? He says, where is your faith? You unbelieving generation. You see, he brings up the issue of faith. He doesn't say, brings up the issue of the exorcism or the demon possession. He talks about faith. Isn't this true for us all as well? Often when we are facing many trials and difficulties and problems in life, we are so concerned about how we are going to deal with this, right? We are so busy blaming something or someone. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's his fault. It's church's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's my kid's fault. We are all so busy blaming someone. It's the government's fault. We're so consumed with the trials and difficulties and problems. And those problems actually become our priority. It is true. And it is understandable, by the way. We should face our problems rather than avoid them. Because I know that some people, they don't take the responsibility of their lives and their decisions. And they try to avoid the consequences. But I think we need to face our problems but interestingly from God's perspective God's priority is not about solving our problems in life because the problems are not really a problem for God but his priority is what faith your faith if we believe him or not God's problem is faithlessness amongst God's people. Because the problems that we have is not a problem for God. But his problem is, how come my people do not believe me? After all this, after all these years of grace and mercy. Question to you and me. Do we believe? Recently, Many Christians are concerned about what's happening culturally and politically. Yes, it is alarming. I'm one of them. And it is disturbing to see all the things going on in our nation as well as around the globe. We see rumors of wars and we see the wars happening. All the craziness. But the ultimate question that God's people should ask is this, do we believe? Or the question that God is asking us is this. Do you believe in the midst of all craziness? Do you trust me, God is asking us, as you are facing all this craziness in your life? John 6.29 says this. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. My brothers and sisters, God is in control. God is on the move. God is working. Amen. For those who are experiencing or thinking that only hopelessness is happening in our, around us, well, God is working. God is in control. I'm not sure you guys heard about this news about Asbury Revival. Uh, in the Asbury Seminary or the University in Kentucky. Uh, 
Some of the students, college students, gather in this chapel. They start praying. And this small, it started very small. People are praying and praying and seeking the Lord. And, and then all of a sudden, it became ongoing, nonstop prayer meeting, 24-7. Continuously, people just gather up and start praying and seeking God for this nation, praying for America, praying for the people, praying for the church, for the revival. And he went about for four weeks. And I know the media went crazy and the people were going crazy, but they didn't even want any media to come in. They just said, this is a worship. This is the people worshiping God. And they did not want even the adults and all the Christians to come in. No, you don't have to come. It's for the students. And students just came. It was student-led. Not the pastors, not the ministers, not the professors. Just kids coming, praying. And thousands of the kids or students have joined. They were praying. Man, I was so blessed. I know some people are criticizing it. They're saying maybe this, maybe that. It's good to see young people seeking God, praying to God. And it is a relief for me knowing that there are God's people out there. <laughs> We're not the only ones, the people out there who, who did not bend their knees to the idols of this world. In a way, they're the future of our nation, future of our ch church in general. That's why even in our church, we really want to cultivate and develop our children because they're the future. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Amen? Faith is the priority to God. May we not just look around, focusing on ourselves, focusing on our problems and lose faith. No. Our problems is not a problem for God. His problem is when we do not activate our faith. Second thing that I would like to talk about faith is this, pleasure of faith or pleasure from faith. Notice that Jesus was very displeased with what? Faithlessness. He was not displeased with the demon possession. He was probably displeased, but that was not the point. He was displeased with what? Faithlessness. Verse 19 said, You unbelieving generation, how long should I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Put up with this faithlessness. Don't you not know me? Who exactly is Jesus referring to here? The teachers of the law who did not have any faith, who were skeptical about what Jesus was doing, the disciples who are supposed to believe in Jesus, the crowd, the spectators, or the father, the victim, or all, all of the above? Who is he talking about? I would like for us to zoom into this. And there are four kinds of people represented here in this passage. Four kinds of people. I think in this world, Maybe you, we are one of these four kinds of people. First one is a poser, the teachers of the law. They were the most antagonistic ones of the bunch, skeptical about what Jesus is doing. They will be the ones who should have, should have believed in Jesus because they should know the scripture, yet they refuse to see the truth and refuse to believe in him. Opposers. Second one is a spectators, crowds. 
You know, Jesus said about these kinds of people in John 12, verse 37. He said, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, he says, they still would not believe him. Can you imagine? You saw everything, yet you still do not believe. After all the miracles, after all the proof that validated that Jesus is the Messiah, in fact, people still refused to believe. They were just spectating. Oh, cool. <gasps> miracles, healings. Oh, sounds good. Times hasn't changed much, I don't think, have they? Many witness the power of Christ exerting in many lives, yet so many people refuse to believe in Jesus as the Savior who came into the world to save the mankind. We still can't see it. Many so-called Christians I was churched. I came to church when I was young. I went to school, Christian school. We just still spectate from the distance in the church. We don't actively live out our faith. We are thinking, oh, just because I come and attend the church, therefore I must be a Christian. My whole family tree is Christian. Jesus calls these kind of people what? You unbelieving generation. We are the unbelieving generation. <laughs> what about the seekers, the father of the boy? They are looking for answers out of desperation. Who could blame the guy for saying this, right? If I was the father, if my kid is suffering, man, I would be desperate. His son had to be like this for many, many years, it sounds like. And perhaps he had been to the doctors, at the doctors, even to the scribe or the priest, whoever. And he couldn't find the solution and healing. So he brings the boy to Jesus, his disciples, but they still couldn't do anything. Can you imagine that? I thought you were the disciples of the rabbi Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth. Obviously, he had heard about Jesus. Probably you have heard about his power to heal and all of his ministry. So I believe he had probably some amount of belief. But it could have been just an attitude of maybe, I can just try this, maybe. This is all the last thing that I can do. What, are, what, what have I got to lose, maybe? So he wants to believe, but he's having a hard time believing fully for who Jesus is in who Jesus is, that kind of people, seekers. Maybe you're the seekers. You're sitting here or listening to this. Yeah, I kind of know. I feel like I kind of need him, but not fully committed yet. There are followers, like disciples. After hearing Jesus' answer, as to why the disciples couldn't heal the boy, you might say that this is, it was ignorance. Well, it was not a lack of faith. It seems like they kind of believed. They believed that they could do it and they have done it before, but they just didn't understand. They needed to pray first. Later, we'll talk about this more. However, in Matthew's version of this case, we see this wasn't only the reason. If you look at it here, 
Matthew, um, I'm sorry, Matthew uh, 17, 19 through 20, the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive out? What happened here? And Jesus, because you have a little faith. I'll tell you the truth. If you have a faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and you will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So disciples had the power to drive evil spirits, but in this case, they couldn't do it. Maybe they hadn't encountered this type of situation before, or perhaps they tried, and they, since they didn't work, they started to doubt. Jesus says, you little of faith. So they believed but their faith was very much not mature, very immature. And Jesus tells them it takes a little faith to move a giant mountain. But sometimes we approach this with this reverse mentality. We think it takes faith of size of the mountain to move the mustard seed. The other opposite, if you just have a little bit of faith, if you truly believe Oh, you can move the mountain. It doesn't take the big, big faith. Meaning, we need to grow our faith more. Amen? We need to mature our faith. We'll talk about this more. But what do you think that when you when hear Jesus, he says, nothing is impossible? You think it's only for the disciples, only for the ministers and missionaries? are actively working for the faith? No, it's for all of us. Oh, you little of faith, Jesus says, nothing is impossible. So dealing with all kinds of people here, four kinds of people, including disciples and unbelievers, one thing for sure, Jesus is not pleased with faithlessness. You can never please God without faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, one of our memory verses in, in the retreat, if those were there. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You want to please God? Have faith. Develop your faith. Grow in faith. That's how you please him. You don't have to give money. You don't have to give service. You really want to please him? Trust in him. Follow him. Obey him. But believe him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, pleasure of faith or pleasure from faith. Jesus is not pleased with the faithlessness. That means Jesus is pleased with faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let's move on. Third lesson that we can learn about faith is this power of faith. Jesus responds to even these struggling faith out of mercy, especially with this uh, the boy's father. Look at verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has been like this? From childhood. Probably he's a teenager, I don't know. For a long time, basically. It has often thrown into fire or water to kill him. Can you imagine living in this kind of condition? If you can do anything, take pity on us. Verse 23, if you can, said Jesus, 
Are you doubting me? If you can, everything is possible for those who believe. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. <laughs> and when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. I can tell you, if Jesus said, never enter him again, that means this boy is free for sure. Now, did this father have faith? It sounds like Jesus was rebuking him for faithlessness. But even that, there is a belief in the possibility of it of working. If he, he had absolutely no belief or no faith, well, he would never come. But Jesus still rebukes him. If I can, you still doubt? And the man, we see the man's desperation in his response. Please help me overcome my unbelief. Yes, I believe, but part of me still have doubt. I still struggle to believe. Please help me, help me. I think the father had some sort of faith, but he is surely struggling with the truly believing fully. What about us? Do you truly believe? Are you struggling to believe? And notice how Jesus helped him overcome this unbelief. He says, this is exactly what Jesus would do this with us as well. If we lack, if you have a lack, lack of faith in any areas of in our life, you know what would Jesus do? First, Jesus would challenge that area first. He points out our faith struggle. You can believe him for your provision, but you cannot believe him for certain things. You can believe that God saved me, but you cannot believe that God will give you a good husband or wife. That you need to take matters onto your own hand. You believe that God can, God is there, but you cannot believe that God will provide the things that you need. Therefore, you rely on yourself and you go so crazy about work and work and work. To those areas, this is what Jesus will do first. If you can. See, in our humility, we need to acknowledge the truth of it. We immediately ask Jesus to help us. When, we, when you feel like struggling to believe in certain areas in your life, why don't you just say, Lord, I still have doubts. I'm scared. Help me overcome my unbelief. You need to, we need to respond to him like that. Although this man's unbelief is understandable, we should contrast this man with this bleeding woman in previous case. Do you remember that? This woman, desperate woman, bleeding for many, many years. Not only physically, it was deteriorating, spiritually, bankrupt, because she couldn't even go to the synagogue. Socially, she's isolated, marginalized, because no one would touch her, no one would deal with her, even her family members. Imagine. But out of desperation, what did she do? She went and touched the cloak because she said, 
I believe even if I just touch the cloak of Jesus, I'll be healed. And then you know the rest. We talked about this three weeks ago or so. And Jesus said, power of faith is upon you, meaning your faith has healed you. And this is why Jesus here in this scene challenged the Father. If you can, do you really believe me? You come to me still, you do not believe me fully? 100%? See, Jesus understood that he needed to be challenged in terms of his unbelief, his faith. What about us? We struggle with the same issue, don't we? We struggle with the power of faith, we power of Christ. We can't believe it a lot of times. Especially when the difficulty comes, when the storm comes into our lives, we just can't believe certain things. Whether or not we are, we've actually said what the Father, I think Father did, whether or not we probably said the same thing as a fa- this Father did. We know that although we believe, we still struggle with unbelief in many cases. We probably believe in Jesus' ability Yet we can be unsure about certain things. Remember last week we talked about great faith of centurion. What is a great faith? Is he talking about the quantity? No. Great faith is a great faith is believing in the greater or more difficult truth than the little things. Great faith is fully convinced of the difficult promises and hard-to-understand truth of the Scripture. Little faith can't believe those things. Little faith may believe the simple promises or the first great level truth, like what? There is God. James says even demons believe that. The little first level faith will say, Jesus gives eternal life to those who believe him. Great But little faith cannot believe in the advanced truth like God will supply all your needs, physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, whatever needs, according to his riches and glory. And you say, what? Look at my life. I'm suffering. I'm going through difficulties. And how could you say that God is going to provide and supply all my needs according to his great riches in glory does not make sense to me so we struggle little faith struggles this father struggles however even though the father struggled with unbelief Jesus took pity on the boy and his family and delivered him from the torment just little faith God does not, God does that with us too, I think. Even though we may have doubts, right? There are still times when God answers our prayers. Thank God. Amen? Even though we might not activate our faith, but still, He listens to our prayer sometimes. But He continues to reveal Himself to us to help us to overcome our unbelief. Out of His mercy, Though our faith is so little, 
He still rescues us, still takes care of us, and teaches us to overcome our unbelief. That is our Father. He wants us to grow, however, in our faith. He wants us to have a great faith, to believe everything in the Bible, what the Bible says. Even though we might not agree with it, even though our feelings might not there be there, He wants us to grow our faith to the great level. And in His mercy, God will use, still use us even though we struggle with unbelief like He did with His disciples. Interesting, isn't it? That's how merciful our God is. Though we doubt time to time, He still forgives and He still teaches us and He still challenges us and helps us to grow in our faith. In that process, He still gives us mercy. He still takes care of us. We also struggle with our faith, don't we? It's time for us to grow in our faith. Amen? That's power of faith. Even little faith, God responds. Imagine as we grow in our faith, what will happen to our lives? We will experience more power of Christ. The problem is we don't experience the power of Christ as much as we should. And we still continue to struggle, struggle, struggle in our faith. But don't give up. Keep going. Keep asking God, help me my unbelief. Help me to overcome it. Don't quit. You come and ask for mercy and grace. And through that process, my prayer is that you will grow in your faith. My prayer is that you will develop your faith. My prayer is that one day you will understand even more. And that's not the end. We'll continue to grow. We'll continue to grow. We'll continue to grow. And we will become like Christ at the end when we see him face to face. Until then, we don't give up. We continue. That's the power of faith. Amen? Let's move on. Last but not least, prayer and faith. Jesus connected the importance of prayer for building up faith, interestingly, in this passage. Look at verse 29. He said, he, he, said, he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Well, some exorcism methodology here, right? Meaning, some kind you can take care of it. Sometimes you need to pray through it. We don't know. That's you need to find out as you build up your relationship with Christ by faith. Why couldn't they drive them drive the demon out? This tells me that tells me that the disciples couldn't drive the evil spirit out due to maybe first lack of faith. And lack of prayer. Right? You, you have little faith, Jesus said. And you also need to pray. In a way, there's a strong connection between faith and prayer. Right? There are some things we just do in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there are some things we need to actually pray about first before the power will come. Right? Sometimes we do that. I'll give you this illustration. An organist was getting ready to play for the service for the church. When he put out his hand on the keys, 
suppressing, there's no sound. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. And when it became apparent that something was wrong with the organ, preacher, the pastor, stood up and said, you know what, people, let us pray. It's time for us to pray. So they were praying. But the janitor realized the organ wasn't plugged in. So he got up and he plugged the organ, but he wrote a note and handed it to the organist. The note said, after the prayer, the power will be on. That's the way it works for us sometimes. After prayer, the power will be on. I can believe that God will help me, but I may also need to pray. Why? Because the prayer is the expression of our faith, total dependence. See, those who believe will pray. Those who do not pray, little faith, has little faith. That's how Jesus is connecting this. Those who activate their faith will naturally pray and be connected to Christ. Those who do their mean, that means if you do not really pray, you have a little faith. Because if you have faith, you will pray. You will continue to go to God and depend on him, even though things doesn't happen right away. See, great faith is not about getting the answer Instantly, See, this is the problem of the generation of instant gratification. We think the prayer is powerful. When we pray, it should happen next day. No. Sometimes you need to pray for 30 years. St. Augustine's mother was praying for him for 30 years. 36 years to be exact. And then finally the Augustine, St. Augustine, finally met Christ. He used to live wayward life. He had a mistresses in his life, and finally he came to faith. And you know the impact that he made upon Christian church today. Took more than 30 years. People are praying, some people are praying for uh, the house. It took many, many years for them. Right? Just because you don't get the prayer answer instantly does not mean that prayer is not powerful. It does not mean that you do not have faith. You need to continue to go to him and depend on him. That's the point. That's why Jesus is making this connection between faith and prayer. Those who have faith will continue to pray and continue to believe him no matter what happens. And those who pray will know what it means to have faith at the same time. Amen. So we can believe and we can have faith, but we need to keep in mind that our faith doesn't negate our need to pray. Or sometimes we need to fast and pray. For some things, particularly this exorcism, Jesus said, you need to actually pray more. You know what it is? You need to develop your faith. You need to grow up up in your faith. You need to mature your faith. Certain things only the mature faith can handle. Certain things little faith can handle, but certain things in your life, you need mature faith to handle this. Do you understand? That's why, remember, faith is not just thought. 
or feeling or one-time belief. No, faith is what? It's a living thing. It grows in you or it can diminish. Sometimes for certain things, you need to grow up in your faith. You need to mature your faith to handle It is an ongoing attitude of the heart. That's why we pray. We develop our faith as we pray. We depend on God more as, so that we can grow in our faith. And as we do so, certain things we'll be able to handle. In this case, Jesus is saying, if you want to handle this case, you better mature up, mature up pray up. Maybe look at the disciples. What happened to these guys? Since the disciple had been given the power to dry, dry out evil spirits, who knows? They didn't think that they needed to pray. God gave me the power. Maybe, perhaps, they had too much faith in themselves because they've been doing it previously. They thought, oh, this is another case that we can handle. When their initial attempt at driving evil spirit out didn't work, interestingly, they did not have more faith to pray and try again. I don't know why they didn't pray and try it again. They couldn't believe it. Oh, it's not working. Why couldn't we do it? Jesus said, why didn't you pray? This kind, you need to pray more. Seek more. Have you ever prayed for something and when it didn't happen, you just stopped it? I'm praying for the salvation of this person. My parents, my mom, my kids, whoever. It's been 30 months, three days, three weeks, three years, nothing is happening. Maybe I'll give up. I've been praying for breakthroughs in my financial situation. You're just praying for three months and you expect things to happen. Maybe the Lord wants to teach you how to manage things in your life. He's not a genie in a bottle. You just pray, Lord, give me this and instantly he will give you this. No. He is your heavenly father. He will teach you how to fish. He will teach you how to develop your faith. He will teach you how to be a man or woman. He will teach you how to do excellent in things that God has given you. Do you give up so easily when you pray? I'm praying for my wife's healing, my husband's faith. I'm praying for my children. Are you going to give up when things are not happening right away? How big is your prayer? Are we praying for and believing that the impossible can happen? Or are we just asking for what seems reasonable? Good question to ask, right? Pray up, my brothers and sisters. When you pray, your faith will grow. As your faith matures, you will continue to depend on God through prayer. It's like the head and tail of the coin. It comes together. If you have faith, you will pray. When you pray, your faith will develop. Comes together. 
Don't give up. Keep believing in Christ. Keep praying. You couldn't drive the demons out this time? Keep praying. Jesus says, this thing you need to pray more. You have some obstacles in your life that you cannot handle at this moment? Keep praying. Ask the Lord to give you more faith. If you feel like giving up, keep praying. Don't give up. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Persistency is the key here. Amen? You persist. You continue. Believe. I don't know. For some of you, you are praying for something for long. And you give up so easily. Don't give up. Keep praying. Amen? That's what faith is about. We believe even we struggle with unbelief, we pray and we keep going. And through that, the Lord will have mercy and you will grow up. My brothers and sisters, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's time for us to grow in our faith. Amen? Don't be staying where you are. No more. Don't you want to grow? Don't you want to know Christ more? Keep going. And you will see and experience the power of faith as the power of Christ is released in and through your life. Amen? Let's pray. Mm-hmm.